Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome to the program. One year ago, this past September, my next guest had life-changing surgery that took the left side of his pelvis and entire left leg due to stage 4 bone cancer. Had he not had the surgery, the cancer surely would have taken his life. Nine months ago, I had him on the program to talk about how he was mentally and physically adjusting to his new life. He had just been fitted with a magic leg. Today, he is back to share more of his recovery journey and how he has made friends with the leg but still struggles with some of the collateral damage since the surgery, and most importantly, some of the huge takeaways and life observations. Please help me in welcoming Chris Christensen. Welcome back, sir. It's good to have you again. You are, nice to be back. You recently celebrated one year post-surgery from life change to where you are now. And... Um, I want to just talk about where you're at. Uh, you've made some amazing progress, so we can go any we can go anywhere with this. All right. Well, how would you like to go? Um, it has been a year. We could pick it up at where things started from uh, as we got to September, and um, we could move on from and talk about the experience of being in September and what that was all like. And then um, um, we could, um, you know, well, we could go from there and just see what happens. I'm good with that. Because when I first interviewed you, you had, gosh, where were you? In terms of your therapy, you were, you were doing physical therapy and working on your met you hadn't i don't think you'd had your you were being fitted for your leg if oh, i recall I? Correct. believe so well, let's do this let me go to my blog site okay because that will tell us um about where i was um uh, in terms of things i've tried to keep it going up um tried to keep it up to relatively up to date so when did we speak last? Okay, so um, I was getting fitted for my leg. We're, we spoke after January, didn't February, we? February 15th. That's when we, we chatted. Say again? February 15th. Okay, so we were just wondering where I was. I'd just been fitted with my prosthetic. You were in the process. I think they were in the process back in February is when we had the last, our last interview and you were being fitted for it. Cause I think I was, I was wondering how that was going to happen. And then you told me because they left enough flesh on you that they could attach it or at least have a place where it could to sit. So that's where we were in February. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, that's, um, that's a good spot because I had been uh, fitted uh, and I've been working with it ever since. So, um, yeah, it looks like it was about the 25th of February ish. Yep. Very good. Very good. Okay. Well, do you want to pepper me with some questions and I'll start going from there? Yeah. Since that time, since February, when we last chatted uh, and again, welcome back. I appreciate you coming on again to give us an update on your progress because you've made a lot and it's been quite amazing really to watch what you've done. In fact, I think when you sent me the video of you swinging a golf club, that was pretty impressive based on where you've come from. So tell us how the, like how your therapy, uh, learning how to use that new leg has been going the, the the obviously the physical transformation but the psychological transformation that you've still been going through tell me what that's been like and i know it's very broad but i'll let you just kind of take that wherever you feel comfortable taking it right well there are those two components the physiological and the psychological components 
And the physiological component has been an interesting challenge. That is, once I got the new leg, you know, it's made out of plastic, carbon fiber, titanium, aluminum, uh, stainless steel, and there are no nerve endings in there. And uh, my body on my left side ends at my pelvic floor. And so I don't have any nerve sensations beyond the bottom of my pelvic floor on my left side. And so when I put the leg on, you really can't feel anything from there on down. And so you put the leg on and you are um, completely sensationless on the left side. You can feel the right leg just fine. You can balance on the right leg, but then to trust the left leg that it'll carry your weight is a bit of a leap, which then brings us into the psychological component, right? Where now it's a matter of trust. You got this big piece of plastic, steel, carbon fiber, and so forth, and you've got to actually trust that it's going to carry your weight. You actually got to trust that it's going to do the job that they say it's going to do. And you have to learn how to let it do its job. And you've got to practice it over and over and over again until you can get confident that yes, indeed, that piece of uh, steel will behave the way it's supposed to. And over time, it communicates um, vibrations uh, back up to the stump, the leftover uh, residual limb that they left behind uh, on the pelvic floor there. And the, that those vibrations give you sensations that allow you to pseudo feel what's going on with the leg. Just like when you are driving a manual transmission car and you got to use your gear shift uh, and your steering wheel and your gas pedal and your brake pedal to give you feedback, vibration feedback on when to shift gears and how to turn and when to brake and all that sort of thing. Um, the, the leg sends similar vibrations back up and your body just has to learn how to interpret them as being, uh, you know, the leg is moving, the, the knee is bending properly, uh, the, the ankle is flexing, uh, you're walking on smooth, flat surfaces. You're walking on uh, rough, graveled surfaces, or you've just stepped on a stone, for example, and the ankle's going a little funny or the knee didn't quite bend just right. You start getting the sense of that. But it's been since February that it's taken to develop those senses. They, they really started to come online about June-ish. So it took a good four months to really get that, that sensation to come to any sort of place of trust where now I could really dedicate and commit myself fully over to transitioning my body weight over to my left leg, my new artificial leg, and then back over to my right leg, my irregular leg, and going back and forth like you would when you normally walk until now I can uh, keep up a pretty normal, regular walking gait, even if it's much slower than it would have been had I had two normal legs. But it's just cons it's consistent, at least. Yeah, it's very consistent. And the cool thing is that with practice and under the direction of a very talented physical therapist, I'm able to adjust the speed of my gait so that I can uh, have a normal gait, which is like a very slow walk to you or to anybody else with two regular legs, but it would be a normal, consistent, steady gait. Um, but then I can speed it up if I need to, like if traffic's coming or I need to get out of the way of something really fast, I can speed it up pretty quickly to almost a fast walk. Um, but then I can quickly bring it back down uh, to my regular gait. It does make it challenging for people to want to go on a walk with me because, of course, they have to walk much slower than they'd otherwise want to. But at least you can go on a walk. Yeah. Well, it's something you maybe thought you never could do again when, when this first happened. I would. You know, 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. When it first happened, I never thought I'd walk again. In fact, there were a lot of things I'd never do again. Uh, I thought that my days of doing many of the things that I enjoy the most, I would never do. Things like um, walking, running, uh, biking, water skiing, snow skiing, uh, driving my car with a manual transmission. I have a little sport car that uh, now my wife has, but I really enjoyed jamming the gears on that thing. Um, but, you know, I can't I can't use my left leg, so I can't press the clutch pedal in anymore. So I can't, I can't shift gears in that car anymore. So it brought me great sadness to realize that I can't do that now. It's just not possible for me. Just like my motorcycle, I had to sell my motorcycle because there was no way I could shift gears in that um, either, or even keep my balance. So I had to sell that, and that that brought a tear to my eye. And I imagine that. And as you were telling me that, though, I, I think you could. It would be wonky, but I think you still could. You would just have to change how you did the clutch. You'd have to do the clutch and the brake with your right leg. Because I had a manual transmission in high school and had knee surgery. and was in a cast and still was able to drive it. So I would, I would challenge you to look into that more. Maybe you could. Well, um, you can. Uh, there are ways to do it. Uh, my prosthetist has warned me against doing it because he says it is quite dangerous. Yeah. And he wouldn't want to make a habit out of doing that. Um, so he said, uh, don't get your hopes up for it. Um, but he did say that if I still enjoy the sensation of shifting gears, that there are cars that you can get with paddle shifters on the steering wheel. Yeah. Automatic manuals. Yeah, exactly. And so if you like the sensation of shifting gears, you can do that. Um, but they're quite expensive. And so can't really necessarily afford one of those, but at least the possibility is out there. Mm -hmm. And um, with that possibility, it gives you a little bit of hope that maybe, maybe one day um, some fairy godmother will come in, wave her magic wand and some uh, fancy Mercedes Benz uh, or BMW M class with paddle shifters will show up in my driveway. There you go. <laughs> um. So, yeah, it's just been really odd. You know, many of the things that I really wanted to do, I could never do again. And uh, that included things like snow skiing. Um, I never thought I'd go snow skiing again until I went to this. Um, disabilities fair here recently where I ran into a bunch of people that sponsor amputees like myself in learning how to do things like snow skiing again and they teach people how to snow ski using a variety of methods either on these special double skis with a chair attached to the top they call them a sit ski or you ski on a single leg with special ski poles that have little stubby skis on the Easy. bottom of mm -hmm. and so when i saw that my heart soared because skiing of course is one of my most favorite activities i grew up doing it taught my kids all how to ski skied with them for all of their lives i skied with my kids for 20 uh for 25 years and you know the thought that i would never go skiing with my kids again was absolutely heartrending and so uh, now there's the possibility of getting back to that. And by the way, the, the same people that did that say there are similar things you can do with water skiing. And they got these special water skis that, are look, that look more or less like surfboards with um, a seat attached to it. Yeah. And, uh, and even though it's not exactly the same thing, they said you get a very similar sensation as to what it was like when you could water ski when you're able bodied so that brought me a lot of that brought me a lot of hope and contentment again brought me some things to look forward to and some goals to set and a little more normalcy i would assume at least in 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 thinking well absolutely because that is the issue isn't it normalcy is um if we aren't careful 
and we start thinking of ourselves as being abnormal, uh, we end up, well, at least I end up thinking that my life is so odd that it may not be worth doing things anymore or many things anymore, or even getting out of the house for that matter, or getting out of my wheelchair and strapping on this artificial leg and trying stuff. But now that there are these possibilities out there, um, it's, uh, it's, it, it creates a lot of hope and makes you feel like you can be normal. You can do some normal things and you can be normally involved with your family, even if you have to make some accommodation. So since we spoke last, or, or maybe maybe just encompassing this whole experience, what has been the most challenging aspect of it? The most challenging thing, to be perfectly honest, um, hasn't been the issues related to the leg. Uh, I'm getting better and better at using my artificial leg, and I have great hopes to be able to use it even more effectively. For example, uh, um, just the other week, I was able to walk about 100 yards without the use of crutches or canes to support me. Uh, just to walk on two legs again. I had therapists on either side of me to ensure that I didn't fall and break my neck, but I didn't fall and I didn't stumble and I didn't trip and I was able to walk for 100 yards. So that was very good. And um, that makes it a very positive experience. So I'm not necessarily worried about that. The hardest part of the whole thing has really been dealing with the issues related to the fact that I had to get a colectomy. After I had the original surgery, I had infections uh, very severe infections, which put me into septic shock to where I was, um, for all intents and purposes, some of the doctors had considered me dead. They couldn't get vital signs off of me. My blood pressure was not uh, registering and my heart rate was so low that they could barely sense it. And uh, they thought that I was dead. The only reason that they didn't say that I was dead is I could still uh, move some muscles and obey some voice commands. Um, but I was, I was dead be because of the infection that had invaded my body. And that infection had come through my large intestine, uh, a, an infection called C. diff, and it had completely taken over and had made me go, go into a completely um, comatose-like state. I was not mentally, spiritually present in my body. I don't know where I was, but for two and a half weeks, um, I wasn't there. I wasn't, I, I, what I think of as me wasn't there in my body, connected to my body. Uh, I must have been somewhere else. But um, waking up from that and realizing that I had no large intestines anymore and had to have an ileostomy done uh, which means that I have an ileostomy bag attached to my stomach, which manages much of my bodily functioning anymore. That has been, believe it or not, the hardest thing to wrap my mind around and to get used to um, because it's changed everything. In fact, it's changed the way my prosthetic leg is made. The prosthetist had to make special adjustments and accommodations to the leg in order for it to fit onto my body. He couldn't make it attach the right way or it would uh, interfere with the bag that's attached to my belly. Uh, he had to um, make a special strap that goes over my shoulder and helps to carry the weight, suspend the weight from off of my shoulder, which puts a lot of weight on my right shoulder and actually ends up pinching the nerves often and, giving, and gives me a headache. But um, this whole, ileostomy thing is very hard to manage because it makes doing many of the day-to-day -day bodily functioning stuff um, extremely challenging. Uh, 
um, probably takes anywhere from four to five times longer to do things than it used to, coupled with needing to manage to put on an artificial leg. So for example, if I get ready in the morning to go do something, it would normally have taken what, 10, 15 minutes to uh, get up, get ready, brush your teeth, put your clothes on, get ready to go out the door. Now it takes me 45 minutes, sometimes as long as an hour. And um, that's very frustrating. And the technology around ileostomy is not perfect. And sometimes it fails. And when it fails, it's um, not very pleasant. It creates a very embarrassing, very unpleasant situation, not only for myself, but for those with whom I'm uh, engaged in activities. And, uh, and I've had to cut a lot of activities short because of uh, mechanical failures to these ileostomy supplies. And uh, sometimes it'll happen at the most inconvenient of times, like when you're sleeping or when you're out on a date or when you're with your friends. Um, and it's, it, it creates a challenge and that messes with your head more than anything else. More than anything else that messes with my head and has been probably the single hardest thing to come to grips with. In fact, I'm still not fully, uh, I still not fully have come to grips with it. When you say messes with your head, what is what what does that look like, or what are the thoughts that run through your mind? Um, and, well, if I'm, if deal... I'm, and if I'm probing where I where I'm off limits, let me know. But if you tell me where, oh, there's nothing off limits. Okay. This is an open book. Um, in fact, I hope one day to be able to write a book. Uh, and in that book, I hope to be able to say the good things and the bad things about the experience to tell people the truth. Um, you and the people that are listening to what you have to say deserve nothing but the truth. I'm not going to varnish it or sugarcoat it. But there are days and times when I think it would have been better if the infection would have just taken my life, if the doctors couldn't have gotten uh, my blood pressure to come back, if they weren't able to get my pulse to be measurable again, um, then I wouldn't have to deal with any of this stuff and uh, suffer the ignominity of it all. I could just get on with living a normal bodily function life, even if I had to deal with an artificial leg. I'd, I'd wrap my head around the leg, but the ileostomy was such a surprise. It came out of the blue. I didn't expect it. It was the day after Thanksgiving. I slipped into unconsciousness. Um, two weeks later, I woke up in a hospital. I had no idea where I was or how I got there. Uh, all I knew was when I woke up and I looked down and there was a bag attached to my stomach, I knew right away that something bad had happened. And it was, of all things, the one surgery that I had never, ever, ever wanted in my life. In fact, I had told my wife years ago that if there was ever a surgery that one could get, that was the one that I never wanted. I had a friend who died because of it. And I never wanted to turn out like that. And so probably 20 years ago, when he died from complications related to his colectomy, um, I thought, well, I'd rather be dead too. Than, Which, uh, it's, go uh, ahead. When we're independent humans and we don't need people in that respect to, to come to, 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 to then be at that point, I get it. I get, and you know, you feel like you're a burden as well. You know, I would assume people having to take care of you. And I um, mean, I get, I get, I get that thinking. I don't think it's that foreign to think these thoughts. You know, I don't suppose it is. I, uh, I would imagine that it's probably a lot more common than not. Um, because let's face it, since you were, four years old, 
five years old, you've been able to take care of most of those needs yourself. And they're so automatic. You don't yeah. even think about it. No, nope. you just feel the urge, you go do your business and that's that. Well, you have to plan right around now. It, yeah, right. Well, right now I don't even feel urges. All I feel is a bag filling up. Oh, that's right. And, yeah. so it's... and then when that bag fills up, you've got limited window uh, in order to deal with it before a problem happens. <laughs> before too much on your hands, I guess. As it were. <laughs> As it were. Yeah, and that's that's I hear you say it and I get it in my head but I don't know what that's like. I, I, I can only a small smidgen of comparison is I, you know, you and I just talked about this a week ago or so, but I had a shoulder surgery and just dressing myself. Um, it's only been since I crashed a, maybe two months, not even that eight weeks, six weeks, six, six, seven weeks, just dressing myself and trying to go to the bathroom with, one one arm you know little things like that you don't think about how much you need all those pieces until one of them doesn't work or in your That's case right. isn't there yeah in fact i wrote a blog post about um issues related to this kind of experience and i'm not sure if you're familiar with a german philosopher named martin heidegger i i do i know i'm familiar with the name yes well, he wrote a very um, important book in the history of philosophy called Being and Time, Being and Time. And in that book, he talks about how there's a couple of ways of being in the world. Uh, one of them is what they call present at hand, and the other one is called ready to hand. And present at hand, um, is when you have to stop and think about what do you have to do to solve a problem? Uh, what kind of tools do you need to get in order to fix something that's broken? Whereas uh, ready to hand is you don't even think about it, you just do it. Just like you were talking about, or just like a carpenter, right? A good carpenter, one who really knows what he or she is doing, uh, can go into a construction project, run across a problem, and uh, instantly know what that problem needs. It needs a screwdriver, or it needs a hammer, or it needs a saw, or it needs a whatever, and can even reach behind them, feel in the toolbox for the right tool, grab it, just do its thing without even having to think about it. Whereas the novice will have to stop, scratch his head, think about what is this problem really all about? What kind of tools do I have that could solve this problem? Or do I need to run down to Home Depot and buy yet another power tool, which wives generally don't like to see happen. Um, at least mine doesn't like to see that happen, but I frankly enjoy that. But um, you know, it's not until something breaks that you realize you've got to come up with a different strategy. It's the master over the craft that can do it regardless of what the problem is, what the breakage is in the process and can do a very good job at resolving the problem with whatever tools you have on hand. So um, I, I liken it unto that, you know, just like when you busted up your shoulder, you had to come up with something to take care of those needs and you only had one hand to do it with, uh, which is not very easy. Um, you know, now I've got the same kind of problem, but here it is in a completely different manifestation. I got this, I got this appliance attached to my body and I don't even know how to operate it, let alone what to do with the darn thing. Or, or, if, it, or if things don't work well, yeah. Yeah, and again, sometimes it doesn't work very well. And so just processing that is the challenge in your mind. Yeah, yeah. And that has been the hardest challenge of all of the challenges, uh, even more so than the removal of my leg and the learning of 
dealing with a prosthetic leg, that stuff's been the hardest to grasp my mind and put my mind around and to come to grips with and become comfortable with. In fact, I don't know even to this day if I'm fully comfortable with it. With the leg? No, no, no. I mean, with, uh, with, yeah. with the colectomy, oh. uh, the ileostomy stuff. Yep, yep, I'm yep. not even sure if I'm fully uh, comfortable with it myself yet. The leg, I'm growing more and more confident in, and I don't mind going out into public and being seen with it. I don't mind that people stare at me, and I especially don't mind it when little kids come up to me and say, hey, does that hurt? And they all want to touch it. They all want to touch it. They all want to, they all want to knock on it, like knocking on a door. They all want to see what it feels like. So uh, yeah, let them I, do that. And, and that's fascinating. And then he's like, hey, guys, you think that's cool? Check this out. And you lift up and show them that, the bag, right? That's a whole different level. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a whole new level of <laughs> grossness. You want a good experience, kids? <laughs> yeah. Listen to your mom. Stay, stay away from strangers with shiny legs. There you go. <laughs> I guess you got some fun with that. You know, with you know, it's already it's a weird situation. I guess embrace it. But yeah, I know that I bodily functions. That's a whole different animal. Yes, for sure. Getting your head around that. Yeah. Now I did. Um, I got pretty low there for a while, and you know when I think when we last spoke. I told you that I'd made a commitment to myself when I was in the hospital that I'd try my best not to squirrel myself down any rabbit holes and get yes. locked up into things, but I'd find ways to uh, stay out of them. And I think I mentioned at the time that uh, I found that service was the key. Yes. That finding people to serve and get out of your own head is the key function that allowed me not to slip into uh, depression that kept me from slipping into feeling sorry for myself um, that uh, kept me feeling very upbeat and positive about the way life could go and since that time I have been housebound a lot more than I'd care to be so I've been stuck in my home um, a lot more. I don't go out quite as much. I go to physical therapy three days a week. I actually go five days a week, but that's quite another story. And we can talk about that if you want to in a moment. But uh, I go to physical therapy. I come home and uh, um, I do things around my house. Uh, and as far as going out and doing things with other people or going out and... Uh, doing um, hobbies or things of that nature. I just don't do them anymore. And so I found very quickly that I was running out of people to serve. It, it wasn't quite so easy to see service opportunities uh, as it had been when I was stuck in the hospital and there was a constant flow of new and different people coming in and out of my life every day. Uh, and I could serve them easy, it, even if it was just to put a smile on their face or make them laugh. There was um, there was a constant stream of people that I could serve. Now it was it, it now it's all the people that are familiar to me, my family, right? It's my wife, my children, the dog, all the things, all the people that are familiar to me, and. It doesn't feel like the same kind of experience, but I had an epiphany just the other day. And that epiphany was that if I don't take seriously the fact that my first and foremost responsibility for service is to my family, then I've missed the boat. It's great to serve people outside of your family. It really is. It's, it's important. Uh, it's good, it's needful, uh, it's what God would want you to do, but even more importantly than serving other people is the fact that you serve and take care of those people that are closest to you, but it, those are also the hardest people to serve because they are so close to you, it's because easy they're to, so right there. That is, it's so easy to neglect the people that are right in front of you, and 
you you feel like what you're doing for them isn't as recognized and sexy and glorifying as when you serve a stranger or someone outside of your home. Well, yeah, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't help um, your daughter get off to seminary, early morning seminary, first thing in the morning and have a tear in your eye because she's so grateful to go to early morning seminary at six o'clock in the morning when frankly, she's still half asleep. And so are you. Um, Whereas in the hospital, you can give away some chocolates to the late night cleaning lady who comes in and cleans your room, who's never been treated nicely a day in her life. Um, Two very qualitatively different kinds of experiences, yet they are both very similar kinds of experiences because both of those people need to be served. They need the service. And unless you start seeing that service as the same kind of thing, um, you'll be forever looking for service and it'll never be there. Because you're expecting a kind of a different result from it, I guess. Yeah. Well, you get a different lens going on. You think service is only something that happens to people other than you where it's so easy to look at your family as just an appendage to yourself they're not fully other than you if that makes any sense yeah so when i start seeing my wife and my children as being fully other than me then i can start to see them as people who need service just like that late night cleaning lady does and with that i can uh, i can take that seriously and help them out and um make their lives a little better for example my wife just decided uh this fall that she wanted to go back to school she wants to become a clinical social worker and uh, it's a very noble thing for her to do she really she's wanted to do it for a very long time and now was the perfect opportunity, especially seeing as how I'm housebound for a while. So I can take care of many of the things at home that she otherwise would have been taking care of and uh, frees her up to be able to do it. So I can serve her by taking care of some of those things. But I can also serve her by helping her figure out how to do her homework because this is graduate school and she hasn't been to school in 25 years or better. And it's scary to her, but I know how you do homework. For heaven's sakes, uh, I spent a lot of years in school myself. So I've, I've assigned homework to other people. I know, I know what homework's really all about. So I can help my wife dissect and digest what homework is really all about for her new program. And I can serve her that way. And I can talk things through with her. And I can really fully invest myself into her homework and serve her in a way that she is truly grateful for. And when I see her as being wholly other than me and not just, quote, my wife, end quote, but a whole other human being, a completely different human. Um, when I do that, when I see her that way, it becomes so much easier to see what I do as service to her. And then that takes away all that angst, that angst that can otherwise fill your heart. It's more value in the service to, for you. Oh, yeah. That's an interesting way to think about it because I, I know I don't serve my family, my wife, like she deserves. I know I don't because I'm busy. And maybe prior to this accident or tra- prior to this accident, prior to your surgery and this whole uh, ordeal for you, you may have just written it off saying, I'm, I'm too busy doing other things. And whereas now you, you, you're not, so you can focus on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the big sin of our day and age, uh, and it's not just for me, I think it's an epidemic is the fact that we're all so busy. Everybody's busy, 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 busy. We're all so busy running around and doing stuff. And we think that all that stuff is so important. And 
you know, I, before I found the, the, the week I found out that I had cancer last year, I was on track to have a 65 hour week at work. And I had just come off a, a, an 80 hour week of work the week before. And now I'd just been diagnosed with cancer and all of a sudden all this busyness just stopped. It stopped me in my tracks. It was like getting punched right in the nose. And it was a wake up call because being so busy got in the way of me being able to listen to my own body and what was going on there. Because in truth, I had aches and pains that were inexplicable for quite some time. And had I just paid attention to them, I'll never know, but perhaps I could have sought medical attention sooner and may have avoided many of the things that had happened. Now, you'll never know. You can't play what if or you'll go crazy. But the fact of the matter is, is I knew I had been putting off seeking medical attention because I was just too darn busy at work. I was working 60, 65, 70, 80 hours a week. Um, and uh, when is there time to go to the doctor? So, you know, the, the sin of the great sin of our age is being so busy that we don't take the time to do the things that are most important, taking care of ourselves, taking care of those who are closest to us, taking care of our friends, being of service. That is, I think, one of Satan's greatest tools. If one believes in Satan. I agree. The distractions and the busyness because it's almost like a badge of honor. How many times you ask someone how they are? What do they say? Oh, I'm so busy. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Are you, are you, you know, I remember when my, when my dad was dying um, in the final couple of years of his life, he talked to, uh, talked to us a little bit about how he worked way too much. And I learned how to work too much from watching my dad work. Um, but he spent the last several years of his life regretting how much time he'd spent working and how he hadn't spent enough time just being with his own family. And so, uh, and doing other things too than just being with his family, even having hobbies. He, the man had no hobbies. Uh, and he had, he was regretting, he had, he, he kicked himself mentally and emotionally every day for the last 10 years of his life because of how much he worked and didn't bother to stop and do some of the smaller things, the, the meaningful things, the things like smelling the roses, as it were, along the way, he just was so busy doing, going from one thing to the next that he missed all that all those opportunities and it made him mad. He was very mad, very disappointed with himself. And so when he left this world, he was, I don't wanna say he was bitter so much as he was disappointed. At missed opportunity. That's the cats in the cradle song that you just described. If you're- Yeah, familiar. I suppose so. Yeah, I suppose so. I wa you know, he watched. He wanted to, you know, play with his dad and dad was too busy. Then dad became old and the son became too busy and just perpetuates a cycle. So yeah, you're right. That's the greatest, one of the greatest tools of Satan out there for sure. Well, I'm glad you are growing into this new and realize and this new world and realizing that and it's helpful. I'm glad you're sharing that because it's helpful for me if no one else hears it. It's helpful for me to, to, to do more of that for my family, for the people that are right in front of me before they all leave. Well, yeah, take advantage of it because they go away altogether too quickly. Pretty soon they go off to college and uh, you didn't realize it. Uh, you woke up one day and then they're gone and you just hope that you've done enough. And um, I hope that I've done enough, but they're off doing their things now. Um, but all that said, two weeks ago, we had state conference out here. 
and we had a visiting general authority from Salt Lake come who was sent by uh, Elder Bednar uh, with some specific instructions to come to our stake to give us some messages. And Elder Bednar gave um, this member uh, of the 70, some put his hands on, on both of his shoulders, took his hands and put them on either shoulder and looked him square in the eye and he gave him some instructions about what he was to do. And um, little did we know, but that when he showed up that Saturday, the very first thing he wanted to do was come over to our house and visit with us. Now, I don't know Elder Bednar from Adam and I don't know this general authority from Adam. Couldn't, didn't have any idea, but he asked the stake president about which families, which family in our stake met certain criteria that Elder Bednar had given him. And our stake president said, well, this family does. This family meets those criteria exactly. And so they came over to our house and we visited for a couple of hours. And he was so grateful that he could come and spend some time with us and give us a message straight from um, a member of the Quorum of 12 Apostles. And um, that we were the recipients of that message. And then he put his hands on my head, gave me a blessing, said some pretty special things to me. Uh, and blessed my family through me. And we will forever hold those things sacred and use them as an anchoring point for the rest of our days. But if you don't, if, if, you, if you pay attention to that spirit and you listen to what he has to say, he'll teach you how to take care of yourself and your own. Messengers may come in and out of your life with key messages that you need exactly when you need them. Um, and, um, and you never know how it's going to turn out. You just never know. That is a, that's a, that's a powerful special experience you guys have had. That's a, that's, that doesn't happen every day. No, it's never happened to me before. I'll tell you that never had any experience like that ever. And for it to happen out of the blue like this was completely unexpected. And I bet it gave your family some, some new fire for living better, I would assume. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You get recommitted back to the things that matter most. Don't be too busy. In fact, make sure you got time for those things which are right. Don't neglect your spiritual development above all. Don't neglect your family and their spiritual development. Stay actively engaged with them. Worry about earning an honest day's living, but don't become so busy that you neglect everything else for it. I think we could wrap it up right there. Well, there Chris, you go. I, I, uh, maybe you're going to, you, I think you'll be my like biannual East spiritual advisor podcast or something <laughs> well anytime brian i'm happy to talk about these things and you know i'm finding that i am learning more and more stuff as the days and months go by um i learn more about me and i learn more about uh, life than i ever thought i would have learned and it's um, it's been an interesting ride. I can't say that I wouldn't trade it for the world, but there are many things about it that I don't think I could have experienced without all of the adversity that that's happened. Nevertheless, the adversity sucks. <laughs> yeah. So you're seeing the 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 teachable the upsides of the adversity that you probably wouldn't yeah maybe others otherwise learned and been taught yeah yeah the, it's the opposition in all things there's bad things for every bad thing there's something good that happens 
and it's yeah it's up to us to try to figure out what that is yeah people keep asking me about this you know this silly little mountain bike crash and i'm just my attitude is i must have had to be here for a reason to learn something maybe i don't know what it is but maybe it's just an appreciation for my body i don't know but they do well you know that's the that's the rub I, i can't tell you how many times people have said the reason I'm still alive after all this stuff is God must have something important for you to do. Well, well, yeah, maybe, maybe what is important for me to do is the same thing that's important for you to do. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, I don't, uh, that's so trite that it doesn't even make any sense. Agreed. And it's just something people say, because we've been conditioned to say them in situations like yours, because they don't know what else to say. That's right. It makes them feel better. It certainly doesn't make me feel better. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and I know, I know people mean well. It's just we've been conditioned to, you know, parrot out these little phrases in times like this. Yep. True enough. Well, wrapping up here. Anything else you want to share with anyone who might be listening as a takeaway? I think you already did. Um, yeah, I just I just reiterate the one lesson that I learned in the hospital uh, when it came to me like a flash in the night, which was you want to stay out of the rabbit hole. You want to stay in a place where everything is good. Um, make sure you find somebody to serve every single day. In fact, try to serve every single person that comes into your life every single day no matter how close to you or how far removed from you they may happen to be in terms of your relationships but serve every single person with something every single day thank you again for listening to the parish the thought show We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from the Parish the Thought Show.